I'd like for you to turn to the fifth chapter of Exodus. I want you to also hold a place at, at uh, our turn and, and put your finger on Psalm 42. Psalm 42. In the fifth chapter of Exodus, and uh, in a moment I'm going to begin looking at verse, beginning verse 21. Let me background um, to verse 21. Moses is down in Egypt. Um, he's out of the desert, down to Egypt to uh, be the, the instrument of redemption for God and lead his people out of bondage. Redemption um, is to purchase with a price, with a, with a view to freedom. And he's the instrument of redemption. And um, when he goes and makes his uh, request to Pharaoh, let my people go, uh, Pharaoh responds by making it tougher on the people. I mean, the, the suffering increases, and uh, so the people turn on Moses. When things are not going well, you fire the coach, and you get mad at the preacher. That's the way it works. <laughs> and so they... They respond by this, in this way to Moses. And they said to them, May the Lord look upon you and judge you, Moses and Aaron, for you have made us odious. I love that word. You have made us odious in the sight, in Pharaoh's sight. I bet they did. I bet they were odious in Pharaoh's sight. Pharaoh loathed them despise them and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why hast thou brought harm to this people? When he caught it from the people, Moses began to lay it on God. Why didst thou ever send me? Now, I have a feeling that every preacher has asked that question from one time or another. Why did I ever get called to this place? Of course, I've never said that about <laughs> Why didst thou ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he has done harm to this people, and thou not delivered thy people at all. I want to pause there, and uh, we'll come back to that in a minute. John Drakeford, one of my professors at Southwestern Seminary, and the head of the uh, religious uh, counseling department over there has written a book called The Awesome Power of a Listening Ear. And John Drakeford said that most of the people who come to the counseling center in, in Fort Worth, and I suppose most counseling centers, he said, come because they have this overwhelming need for somebody to listen to them. He said, they don't come to hear us give them advice or instruction or counseling as to what they need or what, the, what they're to do. They just come because they need somebody to listen to them. Everybody needs somebody to hear us. Um, I saw this cartoon. This old gal was standing there kind of disheveled and, and uh, discouraged in front of her husband between his uh, easy boy recliner and the TV. And he said... Of course we can talk. Just don't block the TV. <laughs> and that's about the way it goes with some of us. 
We want somebody to listen to us, but nobody wants to. If you, have, um, if you can remember uh, the people that made the greatest impact on your life, it probably was not somebody who had the best advice for you to take. It was somebody who listened to you while you played out your decisions and your dreams and your frustrations and your hurt and your anger. They, you just needed somebody to listen to you. And what I hear from young people when they talk to me is that my parents won't listen to me. I don't have anybody to listen to me. I just like to have somebody who will sit down and hear what I have to say without being judgmental, without being editorial. I just need somebody to talk to. But the fact is that nobody's listening. Everybody's doing the talking. Did you know that every day you live, there are 29 new products come to the marketplace? 29 every day. And you have the opportunity to hear 1,800 commercial messages a day. Everybody's talking. And everybody has some answer to some, to some question. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody has a solution. Everybody has something to say. Nobody has time to hear. Sometimes um, listening becomes confusing. Now, I'm going to have to admit that I'm somewhat confused when I listen to the, all the political rhetoric. I, I don't know what's going on. I'm, sometimes listening is confusing. And sometimes listening will get you in trouble. Your mother told you, be careful who you hear, what you, what you hear, who you listen to. And sometimes if you hear somebody with this kind of a, uh, this is just too good to be true, opportunity or, or, or a scam, you probably know, well, that guy's got a, he's got a line, and if I listen to that, I'm going to get in trouble. There are sometimes that when you, some people, some things that you listen to get you in trouble. It's what happened to Moses. And so Moses is down in Egypt, and everybody's talking, and he's listening. First of all, he's listening to the criticism of his own people. He's listening to the critics. It's a dangerous thing. Listen to the critics. Now, Moses was prepared for the rebuff of Pharaoh. I mean, he's ready for that. In fact, he prophesied exactly what would happen. He said, when I get down to Egypt and I tell Pharaoh, let my people go, he's going to say, are you serious? Who are you? I mean, what's this business? This is goofy. You coming down here and tell me to let your people go. They're not gonna, he's not going to listen to me. He was, he was ready for their rebuff, but he wasn't ready for the opposition and the discomment and the criticism from his own brethren. Somebody said that we're the only army that shoots its wounded. I wonder how many times somebody has come up to you with some kind of a pain or hurt, discouragement, despondency, not expecting your response going away with, with hurt, with a greater hurt and a greater pain and a greater discouragement. It's one thing to be persecuted by the world. It's another thing to have the discouragement and the opposition of, of your own, own brothers. How do you handle criticism? I shared with you the other night uh, this little cartoon I saw of Lucy and Charlie Brown. She was working him over, as she was wont to do. 
And she gave him a good chewing out in about three frames. And as she turned to walk away in the last frame, he said, You know, I think I'm allergic to criticism. I think I am. I thought everybody liked ministers. Now, when I grew up, I liked my preacher. I mean, I kind of, I kind of pedestaled him, really. His name was Huron A. Paulnack. With a name like that, he needed my, you know, <laughs> my love. I, I thought he, I, I, he was my idol, really. Uh, and I had this grandiose, idealistic uh, idea that everybody liked preachers. I made an awesome discovery, a really awful discovery. <laughs> Not too long after I became one, I made three painful discoveries. I made the first discovery was that not everybody liked me. Couldn't imagine why, <laughs> but I did. Everybody, some people didn't like me. After I made that discovery, I made an unbelievable discovery, and that is that everybody didn't agree with me. Now, that's pretty awful. Now, after all, I'm a prophet of God, aren't I? I mean, after all, don't I have the you know, unquestioned authority? Don't I? Jeff, don't I? You know? And I was, I was taken back by, by the fact that I, was, I, I said some things with absolute clerical authority and nobody, you know, some people didn't agree with me. Then I made the third and most awful discovery, that is, some people criticized me. And you know, when I got to the place of objectivity, to the place of some maturity, you know what I discovered? That there is an element of truth in every criticism. There is an element of truth in every criticism. And that I have to ask myself when someone criticizes me, what can I learn from this? Now, you can't please everybody. And if you listen to the criticism of others, you're going you're gonna to just, you know, you're going to be in a, in a, in a despondent state most of your time. You can't please everybody. And if a little bit of criticism starts you on a free fall to self-deprecation uh, and, and self-doubt, and if a little bit of criticism causes you to think there's something wrong with you, I got a good word for you tonight. Sometimes the people, the criticism of others is their problem and not yours. Sometimes. People criticize you because they're jealous of you. And sometimes people criticize you because they want to bring you down to their level so they can feel better. And sometimes people criticize you because they don't understand you. I'm here to tell you tonight from a voice of experience, you can't please everybody. There is an old fable about a guy walking down the road leading a donkey. His father was riding on the donkey. And they met a man. And the man said, you ought to be ashamed of yourself, old man, making your son walk and lead this donkey. He's a young man, just, uh, you know, he's uh, trying to get on in life, trying to, you, you, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. So the old man got, son got on the donkey. As they walked on down the road a little further, they met another man, and he said to the, to the son, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Your, old, your father's old, and you're making him walk, and you ride. So he got off the donkey, and they both were off walking all, you know, down the road. They met a man, and he said, you guys are crazy. This donkey is strong, and you guys are walking, and they both got on. 
as they rode down the road a little ways, they met a man, and this guy said to them, you guys are cruel. Look at this poor donkey. His back is breaking, and both of you are riding. So they got off, and they carried the donkey. I mean, you can't please everybody. The main issue tonight is, you know, who are you listening to? You can't listen to the critics. Second, here's a heavy one. The people listen to their distorted inner dialogue. Now, you've got to do a little bit of imagination with me on this one. I want you to drop down to chapter 6, verse 9. So Moses spoke thus to the sons of Israel, but look at this, but they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency and cruel bondage. I need to say that again. Moses came with a message of redemption and they wouldn't listen to him because all they heard was their despondency and their awful circumstances. Now, I want to do a little parallel thing with you. Uh, I call it parallel Bible study. Some of you call it chasing a rabbit. <laughs> but I want you to turn to the 42nd Psalm and I want to do something here with you. What he's describing in Exodus chapter 6, now, now, now do this with me now, what he's describing in Exodus uh, 6, 42 illustrates, look at this. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. I've been eating my sorrow for breakfast, dinner, and supper. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? While the critics mock and say, all right, now where is your God? I eat sorrow three times a day. These things I remember and I pour out my soul within me, for I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God. Does this illustrate what is happening in Egypt or not? Watch this. With the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude, multitude keeping festival. Why are you in despair, O oh my soul? Why is there despondency? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of His presence. O oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore I remember thee from the land of the Jordan, etc. Deep calls to deep at the sound of thy waterfalls. All thy breakers and thy waves have rolled over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and his song will be with me in the night, a prayer to the God of my life. I will say to my God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? of the enemy, and the sh as the shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me. Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? It's the cry of a man despondent. In fact, the word maskil, if you got it up here at the top of your Bible, a maskil of the sons of Korah, maskil was a was a lesson sung to, te to teach somebody something. And what he's doing is te he's teaching us overcome depression or despondency. 
Christians are not exempt from it, you know. I'm here to tell you tonight that depression is, a, is an epidemic. I can tell you for certain, depression is an epidemic in this country. And Christians are not exempt from it. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, some of you know, was a man who battled with depression all the time. He'd come to America. This greatest preacher, the greatest preacher in the English language was Charles Spurgeon. He, he, he battled all the time with what he called frightening fits. And he'd come to America and spend months just trying to get over his depression. And he'd go into the pulpit just despondent. He, he was literally overwhelmed with depression. He died at the age of 58. And he asked that on his tomb would be this epitaph, when this poor, lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in the grave. Now, is that, a, is that paradoxical or what? The greatest preacher ever lived, he saw himself as a person who couldn't even talk. He lived in despondency. Christians are not exempt from it. John Henry Jowett, Jowett one of the greatest preachers England has ever known, talked about feeling the shadows, and he said, I long to get back in the sunshine again. Now, there's some of you here tonight can't hear God because all you hear is the roar of your depression. It's like the breaking of your bones. Now, what do you do with depression? Well, the first thing you do, by the way, I'm talking about situational depression. There's some people who have depression tonight that's clinical, and you need to see a doctor. That's what you need to do. Situational depression, however, what do you do? Well, the first thing you do is talk to your soul instead of your soul talking to you. Does your soul talk to you? Mine does. You know what it says? <laughs> you can't preach. Forget it, guy. Nobody's going to listen to you. That's what my soul says to me. What does your soul say to you? Probably something bad. Most of us have this distorted uh, inner dialogue that talks to us in negative terms most of the time. You have to talk to your soul before your soul talks to you. Now, why is it that we get all this negative dialogue going on? Well, in the case of David in, chapter, in the psalmist in Psalm 42, because of three things. First of all, because of his con the conscious absence of God. He'd lost touch with God. He said, my soul pants after God. I, I don't know when I'm going to be able to stand, be able to find Him again, but I've lost touch with Him. Depression comes, spiritual depression, when a man loses touch with the Almighty. The second reason why depression comes for most of us is because of the attitude of friends, the, 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 the negative impact of others. And he talks about these people who are saying to him all the time, where's your God now? The negative input of others. I love it. Friends like that. This guy was crossing the bridge. He saw a guy standing on the bridge, fixing to jump off. He stopped and said, hey, man, don't do that. Let's talk about it. You just need to talk it out. Let's, and the guy, so the guy didn't jump. He sat down, and they talked about it. He, he shared with him all his problems, and when he finished, they both jumped. I mean, negativism and depression is contagious. Now, listen to the third. The third reason why people get despondent is because we have... We, have the, we, we take on the burden of deity. Listen to me carefully. This is the burden of deity. It's trying to run the universe. 
instead of letting God run the universe. Now what happened to, to Moses was that he took the burden of divinity. He was never meant to take the burden of divinity. He was to go down to Egypt. God, the di let divinity, let deity use him. And he went down to Egypt and he took on the burden of deity. And I tell you, that burden's too heavy. And you say, well, I understand what depression and despondency is, but what do you we'll move to the next and the last. The reason why you can hope in God for, is for three reasons. One is because your life belongs to Him. Your life belongs to Him. Now let me give you an amazing fact. This is an amazing fact. <laughs> you may not have thought of this, but you're God's inheritance. And what He's going to get out of all that He's invested in this world, what He's going to get out of His investment in His Son in this world is, what, is you. He's got a big investment in you. He, uh, your life belongs to Him. He's going to take care of it. Second reason you can hope in God is found in verse 7. And He says in there that your problems belong to God. Let me read that again. Verse 7, Deep calls to deep at the sound of thy waterfalls, underline thy. All thy breakers and all thy waves have rolled over me. Now what he's saying is that this, this stuff in my life is just coming like waves and I can't get my next breath until the next wave comes. He calls it His waves. You know what he's saying? He's saying that even God, God is even control, in control of the circumstances that are about to drown you. All your problems belong to Him. And the reason why you can hope in God is because your destiny, your future belongs to God. Look at verse 11. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him. And this is what he's saying. There's, I can't praise Him now, but one of these days I'm going to praise Him because my destiny, my future belongs to Him. Don't listen to your despondency. Don't listen to your circumstances. Don't, don't focus on the problems you have. It'll destroy you. Don't listen to those. One last thought. The thought that you were, you're when waiting on. The last one. Listen to God. You can listen to others. You better be careful who you listen to. You can listen to others. And most of the time, they'll put into your, you know, negative, a negative input into your mind and heart. You can listen to your problems. And what you say about your problems, or you can listen to God. Now, get, get back here to uh, Exodus chapter 6, and let's take a look at this. It's exciting conclusion to this. Listen to this. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for under compulsion he'll shall, he shall let them go, and under compulsion he shall drive them out of his land. He'll get, he'll, I'm going to make it so that that Pharaoh will be glad to get rid of you. God spoke further to Moses and said to him, now watch this, he said, I am the Lord, caps, it means I am the sovereign, I am Yahweh, I am the God Almighty. 
And I appear to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, I did not make myself known to them. In other words, he said, you know something about me that not even Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had the privilege of knowing. You know my name. And you know, my, you know me personally. You and I are on a first name basis. What a thought. He said, and I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they sojourned. I made a promise to them. And furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel. I hear their cries because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. I made a promise and I remember it. Say therefore. Now, if you've been in my Sunday school class, you can answer this. The rest of you are pretty ignorant probably about this. Now, when you see the word therefore, what do you ask yourself? What's it there for? Who said that? Uh, give him an A. What's it there for? Appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. Give her a little star. Melba Oliver gets a little star. Thank you. What's it there for? Now, when you see the word therefore, you ask yourself, what's it there for? Now he's saying, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make, uh, de uh, declare seven things that I'm going to do. And, and, and I'm going to tell you seven things that I will do for you. Wow. Why should I listen? Well, that's why the there is therefore. That's why the therefore is therefore. He said, the reason why you should listen to what I'm going to do for you is because I'm God Almighty. And because you know me by name, and I have appeared to Abraham Isaac, and I am a, I'm a personal God that you know by name, and the reason why you should listen to me is because I made a promise, and I'm good to the promise. Now look at what he says he's going to do. Look at this. He said, I'll bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. First thing God will do for you tonight, He'll take your burden away. He'll take your burden away. Every time I stand in this pulpit, I'm talking to people with burdens. I know that. Sometimes I lose sight of that. And I, I get sermons that probably don't even relate to your burden. I'm here to tell you tonight, I know about your burden. But the best news I have for you tonight is that God will take that burden. That's His promise. Cast your care on Him, for He cares for you. And what is that great psalm that says you can roll over that burden to God? You can roll it over to Him. Cast all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. He'll take your burden. You can go out of here tonight with the burden gone, with the burden lifted. You can do it. I will take your burden. Second, I will... I will, I will deliver you from bondage. I will deliver you from bondage. Now the idea here is complete severance from the previous condition. I love it. Write it down. It means complete severance from the previous condition. It's what Paul talks about when he said that we are in Christ new creations, new species of being, as the Williams translates it, translation has it. You can walk out a new creation. 
And the old condition completely severed. A slave could be sold to another slave master and the condition get better. But he's still a slave. You can go out of here tonight, free man. I love it. Why aren't you jumping up and giving high fives? I mean, this, this, is, this is it. Number three says, I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm. Now, my scholars here on the front know that redemption, don't you hide do? Redemption is to purchase with a view to freedom. But the amazing thing here is that this word redeem here is a different word. It's the word goel. Goel. Um, let me tell you what that word means. It's illustrated in the book of Ruth, the goel. And when a person, when a woman died, she became a widow. Her husband's brother, by, by, by law, had to take his, his brother's widowed wife as his wife. Now, it didn't mean he had to divorce his, but if he had one before. But he was under law required, obligated, to take his brother's wife to carry on the inheritance so that she could have the inheritance that was her, was her husband's. So that he became her goel, her redeemer. He bought back what she had lost in the death of her husband. And even more than that, the goel, was the, as the nearest kinsman, entered into a personal relationship that's as intimate as the relationship of marriage. And what he's saying is, is that God will do this for you. He will redeem what you have, he'll sever the, the previous relationship that you've had and will enter into a new relationship with you that's intimate and personal. And you can go out of here with God as your brother, not your enemy. It means that he'll provide the inheritance and he will assume a new relationship. Number four. Verse 7, he said, I will take you for my people to be his peculiar treasure, objects of his special care and treatment. He'll be your God. Number 6, I will bring you into the land, he said. Now, what is this land he's talking about? He's talking about Canaan. Now, what is Canaan? It's not heaven. We sing that, it makes a good song on Canaan's fair and happy land. Where my possessions lie, you know, I cast a wishful eye. That's not what Canaan is in the Bible. Canaan in the Bible is not heaven. If that's true, Moses didn't make it. Poor guy. Canaan represents fullness and victory and, and freedom and happiness. And, and, and it, it represents milk and honey. It represents the life of fullness Victory, joy, it represents all that God saved you to experience. He'll give you that. He doesn't just save you so He can get you out of Egypt. He saves you so you can get, get you into the land of fullness. Some of you still wander around the wilderness. He said, I will give it to you for a possession which I swore, verse 8. And that word is interesting. It means lift it up. Lift up the hand. It's like a person putting his hand on, you know, in a court of law on a Bible and saying, uh, you know, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. And God said, I lifted up my hand, and I gave you my word. Hear this truth now. Hear this fact. What God will do for you tonight is this. 
He'll hold up His hand and He'll make you every promise that's in this Word. Somebody said there are over 300 and somebody that counts them. can't imagine somebody sitting down and spending his time counting them. Somebody counted the promises in the Bible and there are more than 365. And, the, and what he said was that there's a different promise every day from God. He holds up his hand and offers you everything that is, is promised in this Word he makes to you with the uplifted hand. He'll do that. Now there's an application I want to give. There are four of them, four applications, and then we're out of here. World Series is on tonight. I know the guys up in the, the TV room are not watching the World Series. I, I know they're not. Number one, what you listen to, what you see will determine what you ultimately will become. What you listen to, what you see, will be ultimately what you become. Number two, every circumstance, every problem can be either an obstacle or an opportunity depending on how you look at it. Depending on how you look at it. Number three, your vision will be determined by your attitude. Hugh Downs, 2020 guy, he said the happy person is not the person with a certain set of circumstances. Happy person is a person with a certain set of attitudes. Number four, your attitude will not be determined by your circumstances. Your attitude will be determined by an inner, inner choice. Happiness is a choice. Ought to be a book by that name. There is a book by that name. Let's pray. Our Father, it's so much fun to get into Your Word and try to find something there that will help us. We thank You for it. We're grateful that you've spoken to us tonight through your word, the Logos, the full personal revelation of God. And I pray, God, that our hearts now will tune in to your voice as to what your plan for us is for this moment of invitation. Pray for the lost who hear my voice and hear your word. They might be saved. Right now there'd come that quiet moment where they would ask Jesus to come into their heart, where they turn from their self-life to Thee. And I pray for those who need to rededicate themselves to, to, the, to Christ, to follow You, to quit listening to everything else and hear what You say. And Lord, I pray you'll bless this invitation to your glory, for I ask in Jesus' name. Now, there are three invitations, an invitation for Christ. Maybe you need to join a local church, or as these wonderful, wonderful young people, follow the Lord in baptism, which is the outward expression of our faith in Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection. It's our identification with Him.
It's putting on a ring that identifies us and our relationship with another. Maybe you want to come tonight and join a church. Say, I, 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 I know I want to belong to a local church, and so I, I think this is the one. Or to come recommit yourself to Him. Would you do it while we stand to sing? We invite you to come.